had that timed up. Welcome to season five. Already. Is that five. a is that a bad sign of the beer podcast? Well, we tried to get some bump music on the uh, classic rewind. A little fly like an eagle since we're covering the Winthrop Eagles. Steve Miller said it's too effing early. It's too effing early. As we were waiting for the chorus, they went to a bump and went to another song. And then we started the car, and this is the Bearded Car Cast. I am Mike Pacheco. He is Dave Friedman. We are excited here. Episode 2, getting ready to go to uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. 7.05 a.m. before the first Winthrop road trip of the year. We are off early to the greater Nashville area. Very, very excited to catch up with former Winthrop colleague, um, Tommy Henry. Tommy Henry tonight, who has set us up with tickets and a tour of the Belmont campus. Belmont hosting Furman, big time, good mid-major basketball as we begin another dalliance around the country. What a what a trip we have. We're going to Murfreesboro. We're going to Nashville. We're going to the Palouse and to Seattle all in a week and a half to follow the 2-0 and o Eagles. Did I pick a bad game to miss on Saturday? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> to quote my good friend Ted Sarandis, wow! <laughs> Teddy Ball game. Yeah, that was, um, you know, the game had everything. It looked it looked like Winthrop was, got off to a really good start in the first three minutes. looked like, okay, maybe they were going to put it together. And then uh, Mercer came back, and, you know, they started hitting threes. And uh, uh, Hase, Felipe Hase, put on a career night. In fact, my broadcast partner on the TV side. Um, the great Mike Jenkins. The great Mike Jenkins. Where are we going, 40? I don't know. You didn't put it in the GPS. <laughs> what are we not. doing? Yeah, you got to go. Uh, are we going, no, we're going Thrashville. Yeah. yeah. So I want to go 74, 85. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but this, we haven't really planned this trip very well. Anyway. That's long, not true. Long story short. Well, we don't have the MiFi. We don't get the gas card. No, well, we're going to have the MiFi. The MiFi is with the basketball program, and it's catching up with us. Um so, and then Felipe Hase decided to have a career night, and my broadcast partner, Michael Jenkins, who had 40 points in Winthrop Coliseum, I don't think he had the record, but it's the most uh, I've seen by a Winthrop Eagle at the Coliseum. Well, Chris Clemens, didn't he have like 55 in a tournament game, something like that, or? Well, yeah, but that wasn't. That doesn't, but in the building, but in yeah. the building, in the building. Um, and then uh, Neftali Alvarez. Uh, you know, it was basically a two-man game. The other, th- the other three guys on the court at any one time were just there to get out of the way, <laughs> help out. But you know, it, it, it was really crazy. Winthrop was down at 15 at one point in the second half. They're and, down eight with 48 seconds. Yeah, eight to with go. 48 seconds to go. Uh, Russell Jones Jr. really turned this game around. It was, he had a bunch of steals, converted on layups. He had a, uh, a steal, and then he pulled up for a pop. And then uh, I'll tell you. Uh, Sincere McMahon had a huge steal on an inbound. It got the ball to Patrick Good, who was having a major league second half. He had all his points after halftime. And uh, he hits the three with like four seconds to go to put the game into overtime. And then in overtime, it was kind of a slugfest. You, you know, it's early in the season. Guys, you know, still kind of getting their basketball legs together. So game legs. And, um, you know, didn't, neither team really shot great in the, in the overtime period. But Winthrop got a big three by Corey Hightower. Uh, and then they were able to get um, 
Um, you would have loved this. I think it was I think it was four seconds to go. Well, I watched, yeah. so I may and then have the foul. Loved it. Uh, no, the they the, fouled the they foul fouled. of three. Yeah, which was a smart play. Yeah, and I, I talked to the Winthrop staff about that. Well, I, I was doing Gardner Webb football. It, it's one of those deals. It's crossover. And you had an overtime season. game, didn't you? We had an overtime game as well. It's crossover season. Football and basketball are going on at the same time. I'm in a unique situation. I'm very very blessed to to get opportunities to call football and basketball at two different schools that play in the same league. Of course, Winthrop doesn't have a football program. And, and I just feel like the only way to responsibly do it and not make anybody angry is you miss one of each. You, right, you don't right. you don't bail on two basketball games or two football games. You, you miss one football game, you miss one basketball game. So next Saturday when Winthrop's at Vanderbilt, I'll have basketball duties. Somebody else will do the football game. This week was the week to do the football game, miss the basketball game. I prefer when Winthrop schedules a non-one for one yeah. of those two games, and, and I don't miss a game against a good opponent. As soon as the schedule came out, I knew Mercer was good. good. Yeah. I knew it was a really good game. I really, really like Winthrop's schedule this year because there's not a lot of non-conference kind of games that you go, oh, what are we doing? Like, from an analytics standpoint, you want to play games that help your NCAA tournament yeah. resume. So, non-one games don't count. They're far, far better than playing number 314 or number 331 in the net. You, you want to play games that can help you. So, you're playing guarantee games where you get a check and that can help you because if it's a road win, great. And if you road lose... Kill, we call it road kill. That's right. It's called a road kill. If you lose the game, it doesn't hurt you too much because those teams are theoretically pretty darn good. And then you play mid-major teams that are just like good battles of solid programs that if you win, it scores you a few points. If you lose, it doesn't hurt you too much. And, and then you play non-ones where you can pick up easy wins and they help you get home games because at some point you have to play at home and put butts in the seats and have your fans see you play. You, you don't play a lot of that kind of why are we playing a repetitive Big South yeah. type game in the non-conference. Right. Well, and I think the other the other interesting piece to this matchup was the fact that both coaches had some good battles the last two years in the Southern Conference when Mark Parser was at Western Carolina and Gary Gregg, which is a good DJ name, two first names um, in your names, but... Uh, and you know, and Pross told me on Friday before the game, uh, you know, before at, uh, at practice, he's like, "This can be a really good mid-major game," and it, it and didn't, it was. It did, and it didn't disappoint. And you know, when you look at the matchups, I think Pross now is four and two against Mercer and uh, with that staff. And uh, I think all the games, except there was the one on Senior Day last year, Western Carolina kind of blew them out. But other than that, all the games were you know two, three possessions. Yeah. And that's the type of game you want to play. They're picked to finish fourth in the SoCon. The SoCon over the last several years has been really, really good. We're off to see Furman. They're really good. They beat a Power 5 team on the road to start the season in Louisville. They're going to play Winthrop this year. That's exactly what you want to be doing. It's, it's a smart schedule. That being said, the travel over the next few weeks is, is significant and, and will take a toll. But challenge yourself early, learn something about yourself early. I, I found it very interesting. I was talking to uh, one of Winthrop's assistants the other day, right after the game, after the Gardner-Webb overtime game, 
I had been uh, following the Winthrop game just to, to follow the score and the flow of the game. And I texted you and Brett Redden and a couple of uh, the coaches right after the game. And I said, wow, what a, what a game. You know, give me a bullet point or two on, on what you saw as the difference in the game. And he called me and he's like, you know, I messed up a couple of things in this game. I could have done my job better. And it's basketball minutia. It's well, it was funny because I had a similar conversation with the same coach, and there was one particular uh, thing that they wanted to hold off for a couple of weeks. And at halftime, I was like, "All right, we got to go to it right now." <laughs> but, but that being said, if you can learn about yourself oh, yeah. as a coach, if you can make adjustments, if you didn't coach the perfect game and you still find a way to come away with absolutely, a win, absolutely. that's really, really valuable. On Friday night... But also think about this too, though. You know, Winthrop has a core bunch of guys that have won back-to-back championships, so they know how to win, and they've yep. been in tough games before, and, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, crap, we're in overtime. It was like, all right, we got this. So, last Saturday, not Saturday of the Mercer-Winthrop right. game and the Gardner-Webb overtime loss to Charleston Southern, the previous Saturday... I'm sorry, the previous, yes, the previous Saturday, I was with the football team at Hampton. Right. Gardner-Webb lost that game in overtime, uh, too. And So what's the record for the running Bulldogs now? Let's not talk about okay. that. Okay. It, it's, it's, it's not what they would like it okay. to be. Okay, okay. And I really like their 32-year-old head yeah, he's coach, great. Trey Lamb. Yeah, we did a couple he games together. He is young, he is energetic, but he will be the first one to tell you I have to change everything from the ground up here. They are used to losing here. The culture has to change, and it's a process, and it doesn't happen overnight. So in league play, they have lost five times, and four of those games, the the four games you didn't do, have gone down to the wire. They've been four games you could go two and two that's what you figure you'd go go two and two they've lost all of them and they've lost all of them not because any individual play not because any individual call because you can almost see the body language of we've been here Here before here we go again and 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 the only way you get through that is by winning a few of those games I said to my wife on Monday or Tuesday, or maybe it was right when I got back last Saturday, I said, Gardner-Webb lost to Hampton in overtime because for 20 or 30 or 40 years, way more often than not, when they get in a game like this, they lose. And I go, at Winthrop, for 25 years, Greg Marshall, Randy Peel, Mark Prosser, obviously Pat Kelsey won a lot more close games than he lost. Three out of four, probably 75% of the time, they win these games. They just they find a way. And son of a gun of Saturday, Gardner-Webb loses in overtime, and Winthrop wins in overtime. Winthrop's down eight with 45 seconds, 50 seconds to go. They find a way. Kind of reminded me of that Gardner-Webb uh, triple yep, overtime Yep, game that crazy game in 2019, was it? Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. And Friday night, I did Wake Forest Western Carolina men's basketball for ACC Network Extra. By the way, and, and you certainly don't have to clear this with me, but next time you do that, let me know. I had a bunch of people, hey, Dave was great last night. I was like, what do you mean Dave was great last night? <laughs> well, okay. 
I'll do that. I just I'm not caught flat-footed. I don't do that many of them, and it was a fun opportunity to go to Winston and do the game. But maybe the best part was it was two people we know. It was Justin Gray, oh, yeah. who had been Winthrop's assistant head coach under Pat Kelsey, 37 years old, head coach now at Western Carolina, taking his team back to Wake, where he was nearly a 2,000-point yeah. scorer, one of the best three-point shooters in school history. And we love Justin. Jet we love we loved love. working with him the last two years. He's a winner, great work ethic, and... and I have no idea if Western's going to be any good this year. They got a really good win to start the year yeah. against Bowling, Bowling Green, Green, and then they lost to Wake Forest in a relatively tight game. They lost yesterday to East Carolina. I didn't see any of the game. It's a work in progress. It's going to take time. Western's a really, really hard place to win. I do think they have some pieces to the puzzle there, and, and I feel good for him. But it was good to visit with him and with Zach Friesman and with Jason G and a bunch of people that we know at at Western at shoot round and then before the game and then Wake Forest is coached by I, I don't know how to say this without sounding ridiculous they're coached by Steve Forbes who was an assistant for Greg Marshall at Wichita State Winther played against them a couple times when he was at East Tennessee State they were incredibly successful at ETSU and he's coached under Bruce Pearl and Hunter Moser and Billy Gillespie and I just love him. He he is a swashbuckling, straight shooting, just like very secure in who he is basketball coach who's had a great deal of success and I was talking to him at shoot around and some of it's about what his favorite drink is yeah, some of it's about his trip to the beach over the summer and some of it's about basketball really hard-nosed players and exes nose basketball and he can kind of talk to you about anything anytime and we're talking about dj burns and we're talking about the couple of wars against winthrop and he goes you know you guys got patty good and he goes he has you know that gene he is so good when the brightest lights are on and when Winthrop signed Patrick good over the summer I mean I was pumped yes you were like I just I remember when you called me I love Patrick good as a basketball player I'm not going to pretend to know him personally we will get to know him during the course of the season but but I've admired him at App State and at East Tennessee State he's a winner and he wants the ball when the game is on the line and he never freezes. Doesn't mean he makes every big shot, but by God, he's a veteran player. He's got a family. He sat out last year for COVID for all the right reasons. And he and Mark Prosser have developed a relationship. There's obviously a mutual affection and respect for each other. And he might not be a quote-unquote starter. He might be the sixth man. He's going to play big minutes, the most important minutes. He's a locker room leader. And, and I think what you've seen in just two games with Winthrop this season is they've got a lot of pieces. They, they, they're a little bit like last year's yeah. team. They can go very, very deep. Kelton Telford had a great game in the opener. Wasn't so good in game two. He can play big minutes when you need him. He can sit on the bench next to Jeff Lahr 
when you need them. But that's what depth is, right? Depth is having the right pieces for right, the right situation. Coach Kelsey used to say, and we used to kind of make fun of all the coachisms and the Kelseyisms, and we're going to continue huh. doing that because that's who we are. are you we're gonna, we're is gonna, this the Noah's Ark? Yeah, yes, it is. Noah's Ark. He talked about the, the Power 5 teams. They would have two of everything. Two of everything. We don't really have two DJ Burns, but but no are, one has no two one has, DJ well, Burns. Power Five schools too, but no one at, no one at our level has that. I mean, you're right. There's some Dukes and Kentuckys of the world, but look at Winthrop's schedule. They play no teams that have two DJ and Burns, so, and many that don't have one DJ Burns. Most they don't have any DJ Burns, and, and, and Winthrop's bigs. So so there's the one legitimate. Back to the basket, old school big guy. But then there are three, or or maybe maybe it's it's Chase and Kelton that are the rim rim runners, offensive rebounders, defenders, like do yeah. the little things, guys. Corey Hightower is probably a, a player unto himself because yeah. he's skilled. So he can play on the perimeter, yeah. but he can play in the post. He can rebound. He, he gives you some versatility. And then I was shocked going back and watching the Winthrop game. I had no idea Mike Anuba was going to play so much four. Yeah. So, like, I think a Mike on this team as a wing right. and a defensive-minded wing but a capable offensive player as well, well, we saw Mercer go small for large portions yeah. of the game. They only had the one big in the game, and Kelton didn't have his best game. And Winthrop matched with a small lineup playing Michael Anumba at the power forward spot. So you've got him who's kind of a swing guy, and then you have that glut of wings that include Corbin who's a, a, a terrific shooter, and Patrick Good and Sincere McMahon, who are kind of hybrid one-twos, who can run a team, but they certainly are capable outside shooters. And I don't know what we call Russell Jones at this point. I, I, I think he's a hybrid, too, because he might be a better shooter than an initiator, but he obviously, in the press, changed the Mercer game totally entirely. And then you've got Drew Bugs, who is a more traditional pass-first point guard. But but they just have so many guys that do such a wide variety of things, and you can mix and match combinations. And, and it is partially Mercer that lost the game on Saturday. They turned the ball over. They made some mistakes down the stretch. But you could argue. They didn't play a very deep bench. Their starters played a ton of minutes. Winthrop put on some pressure in the second half, and and maybe the lack of depth, they ran out of gas down the stretch. Maybe some of those mistakes, it's early in the season, were their guys didn't get the rest they needed when they had those leads with, you know, 10 and 12 and 16 minutes to go in the first half. And Winthrop's Noah's Ark, Wore him down a little bit. Well, and Russell Jones Jr. wore down Neftali Alvarez to the point where they took him out of the game to kind of let him recollect because right. like two or three possessions where Russ either deflected a ball or stole the ball away. Yeah, and that's the the versatility. I mean, being able to press a little bit. And we saw Dave Davis and, and, and uh, 
Pat Kelsey do it not last year, but two years ago, we saw the pressure. That's probably where Russell Jones is best. He's best in that harassing kind of role that that if you if he reminded you of anyone we've seen in the Winthrop era, and this obviously hits a very soft spot, it's the DeAndre Adams yeah. role. DeAndre yeah. was not an amazing offensive player, but he was so fast, yeah. he could get into the paint and find someone. He was a capable, if not the best shooter on the yeah. team, an able-bodied shooter. Russ is probably a better shooter. DeAndre was probably faster, but what maybe they both do is they can stir yeah, up the other team. Yeah. They can disrupt and change the, the tempo and complexion of the game. Yeah. No, that's totally, that's right. Like, like, what a start to the year, though. Like, playing a game like that, it just gets you juiced up. Winning a game like that, it, it makes you feel like, oh, man, it's basketball season. I got home from the Gardner-Webb game on Saturday night, and this is a college football Saturday, and I just wanted to watch basketball. Yeah. I wanted to watch the Winthrop game, which I did pretty quickly, and when it was over, I wanted to watch... Um, Gonzaga and Texas. Like, I, I like college football's going on. There's a lot to talk about, and maybe not in this podcast. Maybe in one going forward, we will with with will Cincinnati make it, and who's going to be in the playoff, and can anybody beat Ohio State? There's a lot to talk about, but man, I just I, I don't want to say I've mentally shifted to basketball season, but. I was ready Tuesday night when it began, and it's been fun to follow the last week or so, and I'm pumped up to be on this trip, and yeah, it's a long drive to Murfreesboro, but we've got we've got some fun planned. I'm excited to see Furman and Belmont. I'm excited to eat some hot Nashville hot chicken. Nashville chicken yeah. I'm excited to... to do the things that we have planned and go the places we, we've got on the docket. And, and we encourage you, if you've been to Washington State, yeah. the Palouse, if you've been to Seattle, we have upcoming trips to Coastal Carolina and to Elon and to Jackson, Mississippi. If you've been to these places and you have advice for us, send us an email. And uh, Eugene Robinson yesterday, I was telling him we are going to Seattle. Of course, he played, I think he was drafted by the Seattle. Obviously, he played in Seattle. So he gave me a few uh, few suggestions, too. But, yeah, beardedcarcast at outlook.com is how you can get a hold of us through email, of course, at beardedcarcast. He's at Dave underscore Friedman. I am at, uh, at MikePachico81 on Twitter. And let us know. Let us know what you guys think. It's Friedman underscore Dave, but nobody cares. Oh, did I say? It, 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 you know what? It's 2022 or 2021 or oh, 2027 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, or morning. something. By the time this trip ends, it might be like 2030. Yeah, exactly. People can find us if they want to find us. You know how it um, So let's talk a little pro sports, and we'll call it a day on the podcast. And maybe we'll do a short pod recapping everything we've maybe done. Maybe coming home Wednesday we'll do. Yeah, coming home Wednesday, we'll do we'll do something in brief. But um, man, Cam Newton's wow. back. And you know what? This is such. It was such a Cam Newton return, right? I mean, in in the totality of what we know about, you know, comes in as really the, the hero. Now there were a lot of questions, you know, when we found out about this on Thursday. Is Cam gonna 
Is he healthy? Is he going to come back? Is he going to play on Sunday? You know, what, what's he got left in the tank? A lot of questions that have been swirling around him since uh, even before the, the Patriots released him. I have maintained, and you and I have talked about this on this very podcast, I have maintained that I felt like he still had a run left in him. I still maintain that, uh, and, and maybe this is it. Now, I was a little suspicious at first. Um, now, granted, it, it was one game and he played like six plays, but uh, the energy that he brought to this team. Uh, now, the reason why I was, uh, I don't know suspicious is the right word, but critically thinking, Bill Belichick isn't going to uh, necessarily get rid of a guy that he thinks can help him. Uh, so, Well, I think, I think it's become apparent that no one in the NFL wants Cam Newton as their backup quarterback. No. Because then every no, time you meet with the media, they have to ask, are, are you thinking about a change? But, but well, here's the other thing about Cam Newton. Cam Newton, I don't care what room he walks into, he's going to be the largest figure in yep. that room. Even if it's other celebrities, yep. he's going to be that guy. So, he, he, yeah, he takes up that space. So, you know, obviously, I was like, well, man, does, does, but, you know, what does he have left in the tank? And, but know, maybe a year off or however long it's been since he's no, absolutely. played a meaningful I, football game yeah. helps get his body back to where it needs to be. Well, and I made the, the, uh, the example yesterday. I mean, it's like... And this is a little bit of an older reference for our younger listeners, but I mean, it was, it's like getting Greg Maddox at the trade deadline. Right. But, like, we saw it a little bit late in the Peyton Manning era. We saw it a little bit late in the Drew Brees era. It's a long season. Elder quarterbacks really shouldn't be playing 17 games. Now the season is a week longer. If you're a team that is thinking about the playoffs, let's look at Arizona. They don't have an old quarterback. No. They have a young quarterback, Kyler Murray, one of the best QBs in the NFL. It's smart that he didn't play the last two weeks, and I don't mean because he's injured. Right. Yeah, he's banged up. They know that they're going to the playoffs right now. There's a 100% chance or a 90% chance yeah, oh yeah. the Cardinals are going to the playoffs. Save your bullets. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't need to play every week. They got it cheapy last week. He didn't play... They also didn't have DeAndre Hopkins play. Everyone figured they were going to lose to San Francisco. Right. Well, the Niners laid an egg. That afforded the Cardinals another week where they're like, you know, maybe we can beat Carolina without these guys. Maybe we can't. But golly, a midseason two-week vacation for two players that we're going to need to win playoff games? What a good idea. Save your bullets. Well, Cam Newton has gotten that vacation for months. And... I don't know what sort of shape he's in. I'm not suggesting he's not going to get well, hurt. Well, in his, in his press conference on Friday, he, he said, "Look, the you know the one thing he's done is spend time with his family and work out." So you know he's been he's been waiting for this call. He knew at some point, you know, based on what we've seen the last couple of years, you know, I don't know, last five, ten years in the NFL, it's, something's going to get hurt. So let's play it forward. Let's play it forward. Well, let hold on before we do that. Let's let's just I do want to cover this for a second because a week ago, after a disappointing loss to the. Patriots. Sam Darnold looked terrible. He got hurt. The franchise was like looking like they were ready to hit a nosedive. They signed Cam Newton on Thursday. There's a lot of activity, a lot of buzz on social media. You know, some people hate it. Some people, most of the people loved it. Then he comes in, and in his first, you know, you know, first series of plays, a couple first five plays, he runs for a touchdown. He throws for a touchdown. Is that good? That's that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, but, but 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 in the in the course of a week. 
the you narrative went from, shifted. The narrative shifted. And, and they're very much in playoff contention. Yeah. Let's talk about the NFC for just a minute. There are going to be two playoff teams out of the NFC West. Arizona and the Rams are both going to the playoffs. Yeah. Dallas is likely the winner of the NFC East. They're going to the playoffs. Yeah. Green Bay is the likely winner yeah. of the NFC North. Hold on, are we going to the Dave playoff map? We're going to the Dave playoff map. Green Bay going to the playoffs. And Tampa Bay is probably going to win right. the division with the Panthers in New Orleans and Atlanta. Those are your four playoff teams. There three. But I think there's still a precinct in Wisconsin that we're winning. That's right. There are three other playoff teams. One of them is going to be the other team in the West. That's five playoff yeah. teams. That gives you two other playoff teams. Okay. Maybe New Orleans is the best of those teams. They've got some issues themselves at quarterback. Jameis Winston's out. Drew Brees is retired. And Trevor Simeon may or may not be good enough. Taysom Hill continues to look like the Swiss Army knife, but not the starting quarterback. Fine, good, whatever. Let's say New Orleans is in the playoffs. There's still one more spot, and there's not an obvious team. Maybe Seattle's going to make a run, but Russell Wilson sure didn't look good in his return yesterday. The 49ers have a must-win game tonight against a Rams team that's probably just better than them. That spot is very much out there, and the Panthers are absolutely as good as any contender to take that last playoff spot in the NFC. Now let's play it forward. Next Sunday, who do the Panthers play? Uh, they play, uh, who do they have next, Miami? I don't think so. Miami plays the Jets next week. Uh, geez, I should know this. All right, it doesn't matter. I'll look it up while we're talking. But who's the starting Oh, no, 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 uh, Washington. Washington football. That's team. right, Washington. Who starts a quarterback for the Panthers? I think the great, and we, Eugene and I talked about this last night. Um, well, the first part of this is Matt Rule is in such a great position because he doesn't have to say a word all week. Like, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, who, who gets the, you know, who, who works it out, who wins, blah blah. We got great options. PJ played great yesterday. You know, on Sunday, blah 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 blah. It would not surprise me if they do a little bit of what they did on Sunday. I think they go back I think that's the likelihood. Yeah. I mean, it just won, so yeah. you don't need to change it. I believe... But it forces it forces uh, Washington now to have to prepare for two quarterbacks. My guess is there's going to be some sort of hybrid system where they both play until they lose. Right. And at that point... Or, or be- until... Or until... Because, uh, look, they didn't bring Cam in to be the backup. Right. right. So, or, you know, Cam gets his feet under him. No, right. you're right. No, maybe they stick with you know stick with what works. Yeah, I mean until it doesn't work, you might as well keep yeah. doing it. But but my guess is at some point, barring an injury, Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah. Okay, let's say they go to the playoffs. Totally reasonable. They make the playoffs. They lose their first playoff game. It's a road game, and you go, wow, a season that looked like it was crushed yeah. was revitalized, That's turned right. into a decent year. That's right. Going to resign Cam Newton at that point. That's, that's a million-dollar question. And, you know, there's so many variables that go into that. You know, it's to me, it's, it starts and ends with his how healthy is he. Now, the one thing we didn't see yesterday, either through P.J. Walker or Cam Newton, Cam, I think, had one throw that was maybe over 20 or 30 yards. We don't know what his downfield range is, and that was something that was, I think, an issue when he was Absolutely. Before. Well, his arm so, was shot. Yeah, so, you know, has that... 
you know, is he, you know, how's his arm strength? Absolutely. Uh, how's his general overall health? Has Sam Darnold played his last snap for the Panthers? It's looking like that. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think you can say yes definitively, but I think it's, All right, it's, let's it's play, almost yes. Let's play the scenario in a different way. They don't play well for the next five, six weeks. They go one and four, two and four over the next six weeks. They're very much on the outside of looking in the playoff race. Sam Darnold's healthy enough to come back for week 16 and 17. Does he play? Probably not. If he's not playing under that circumstance, under what scenario can he come back and be a part of this team? The only other scenario would be if uh, if there's a, if if you say he start like well let's go back this way. I think he gets in if there's an injury, kind of yep. like the Drew Bledsoe coming back when Tom Brady took over his role. Um, and then I think in that scenario, if he were to come back, let's say let's say there's an injury, he's got to play two week, the last two weeks. Wins a couple games, gets him into the playoffs. They win a game or two, you know. Yeah, then I think he's got a shot at, at, at coming back. But that's probably the only scenario. I think it's outside of looking at. I think so too. I think Teddy Bridgewater's a one and done. Sam Darnold's a one and done. And I'm not sure, and and I don't know how you could be sure what Cam Newton is. But I think it is very possible that if Cam Newton is something between average and decent, that he's sticking around because. There are no great quarterbacks in the draft. You might draft a guy and be like, we like this guy, we think he's the future, but he's not a guy you hand the keys to immediately. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they go into next year with Cam Newton as the starter and a young quarterback as the, we think this guy's our starting quarterback in 2024 or 2025 situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. Fascinating how things can change oh my God. so in quickly a week, in a week to week. Now, 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 I have been disappointed in some of our colleagues Uh-oh. who have reported it's a one-year, ten million-dollar deal. Mm. It's not. It's a four and a half million-dollar contract guaranteed with incentives after that. Right. That's not a ten million-dollar deal. That's not a ten million-dollar deal. If he earns $10 million, the Panthers couldn't be happier. Yeah, absolutely. But but he didn't sign a $10 million contract right off the street. No. You have any other NFL thoughts you want to uh, discuss, or should we wrap it up? Uh, the last thing I would say is uh, watch out for the New England Patriots. Yeah, they're playing really well. pretty good. Uh, two back-to-back uh, solid games. I-, I feel like their last two games have been very, very deceiving. The defense is playing very well, and that's fantastic. But correct me if I'm wrong, and I may have some minor details wrong here, but I believe it was either in the late second or early third quarter against the Panthers two weeks ago that they were leading 6-3, and Carolina was driving, and Sam Darnold threw an absolutely inexcusable pick six that changed the complexion of the game. That's right. Right? That's that's correct. I mean, one of those like game-losing plays because... And they had a couple of picks yesterday against the... No, it was the exact same thing. It was earlier in the game, but Cleveland started the game dedicated to running the ball. They had a six-minute drive. They ran the ball down New England's throat, and they scored a touchdown. 
it might have been a fourth down touchdown pass. Yeah. New England got the ball back, had a nine-minute drive, went down the field, tied the game at seven. You're like, oh, this looks like a pretty good game. <laughs> yeah. Baker Mayfield throws a pick six. Cleveland gets the ball back, goes three and out, or maybe they had one first down and they punt it. New England drives down the field, scores the game's 21-7, and it's over. It's done at that point. Like, I don't think it's sustainable to score defensive touchdowns every week. I don't think you can expect that. I think Mac Jones has had a really good year. There is not any reason to debate how great a coach Bill Belichick is. He's an all-time great, maybe the best of all time. But they've won back-to-back games when they've gotten the biggest play in football, a defensive score. They don't get those two scores. Do they win both games? Very possibly. They won both games going away when it was all said and done. But we've seen Mac Jones play good games. We've seen him play kind of so-so mediocre games. When the defense is scoring, it's not that difficult to then manage the game. Now, the young running back Stevenson looks good. Harris has looked yeah. good when he's been healthy. The defense is a much different unit than the Patriots had last year when all those guys opted out. They look like a playoff sort of team. But in the AFC, who doesn't look like that? I know at the beginning of the year, for the first month or so, we said, wow, Jacksonville's terrible. Yeah. I mean, they beat Buffalo two weeks ago. They took Indianapolis to the gun yesterday. Houston looked really, really bad over the last month, six weeks, but they won a couple of games early. The Jets, who are quote-unquote terrible, have beaten two playoff caliber teams. And then at the top, who's the best team in the AFC right now? Baltimore, who just lost to the Dolphins. Dolphins. Buffalo, who two weeks ago lost to Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Kansas City, who last night looked tremendous, but has been mediocre or bad for large portions of the season. Tennessee, who's playing without Derrick Henry for the foreseeable future. I mean, you want to talk about lack of clarity. I, I was talking to a friend walking the dog between the late NFL games yesterday and the Sunday night game, and I said to him, This is how wide open the AFC is. Whoever wins tonight's game can make an argument that they're the best team in the AFC. And when the game ended, you can absolutely argue Kansas City's the best team in the AFC. After the game, you can argue the Raiders are one of the worst teams in the AFC. If they had simply won the game, and it wasn't close, if they won the game, you could be like, the Raiders are leading the division. They got six wins. They're as good as anybody else. It's wide, wide wide open. open. That kind of makes it fun. That's what it's all about. That's what... People was all wanted all those years ago. And he more or and less he got, got it. it. He got it. This is the Bearded Carcast. He's Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco. We thank you for listening. This is listener supported Bearded Carcast, by the way. That's right. Yeah. Do we have a, a Venmo and a <laughs> yeah, we can we can supply that information if anybody wants to uh, uh, do, uh, contribute that way. Uh, Patreon is that the new thing? Patreon. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, right. But also uh, don't forget subscribe, like, share, uh, email us beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Follow along on Twitter at Bearded Carcast.